Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will glow over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has, be- has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Revelation chapter 11. We're going to talk about that here today. Uh, before we do, I wanted to... Uh, update you on the Kingdom Builders project that we gave to two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. And I forgot to share this last week to the first service crowd. So all of you that are regular first service folk here, I wanted to make sure that you knew so we can celebrate. So we were, we were going to give money to this Kingdom Builders project for the Boys and Girls Club right over there in the Palomino area. And we want to bless them. They need uh, help upgrading their game room and, and getting some new big games. And so we did that Easter Sunday. It was our current Kingdom Builders project. We want to send all of that money to the Boys and Girls Club. And you guys gave over $1,000 to the Boys and Girls Club. So that's pretty cool. That's worth celebrating. And so thank you to all of you that gave. Uh, thank you for your generosity. And if you're interested in being a part of helping us 
get that stuff and deliver it to the Boys and Girls Club if that interests you, let me know uh, because uh, it'd just be fun to have a bunch of people do that together. And uh, we'll keep updating you on how that goes and uh, how, how we're able to bless the Boys and Girls Club over there. And it's just one way that we can just show the community that we, we care about them and that we're here for them. And so I love that we can do that. So thank you again, those that gave to that Kingdom Builders project. That's, that's pretty cool. So last week, we were in Revelation chapter 10, and we talked about how this Sunday morning gathering is like a locker room moment for sports teams. And so I just want to reiterate that because I think it's so important that we, we get that concept. So for sports teams, they have this locker room moment, and it's very important, but it's obviously not as important as playing the game, Right. And so what we do here on Sunday morning is important for inspiration, for encouragement, for challenging, for instruction, for strategizing. But what's really important is that you and I go live this thing out after this, right? I, wanna, I want you guys to be in the game. I want to see you involved, living out this life that God has given you for him, for his glory, as a witness for him. I just want to see all of us just living this thing out, not just we showed up on a Sunday and that was good. And then we go home. We don't, like, this needs to impact how we live. That's, that's the goal. And so how did it go this week? Did you, did you live it out? I hope you did. How did it go getting into the Word this week? Because that's one of the things we talked about last week, right? Digesting, ingesting, digesting the Word, meditating on it, let it get in you. The, the Word of God can only transform us if it gets in us. And this book here, guys, God's Word is so... It's so incredible. It's so powerful. Like, it's not just full of good life principles. Like, it's full of life-changing principles. God will change you from the inside out as you get his word, his truth in you. And so, well, let's just be people who, who dive into this word more and more and more. Let him change you from the inside out through the power of his word. And today, guys, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, if that's okay. And the truth is, you want to hear more about God's opinion than my opinion, right? I don't want to, you don't want me to stand up here and just share my opinion about how the end times are going to all play out and all that. You want God's opinion. And so we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And in fact, I'm going to take a few extra minutes than I typically would because this topic that we're diving into today is going to interest many of you. And some of you who aren't interested in it, maybe by the end of today, you will be interested in it. So we'll see how it goes because Revelation kind of alludes to some very important things when it comes to the end times, and that is the rapture. When will the rapture take place? And the tribulation, and how does all that unfold? If you don't know what those things are, then you're going to find out today. We're going to have some fun talking through all of that as we dive into Revelation chapter uh, 11. But uh, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today because I believe that it's important for us to look to God's word. And this book is so important, guys. There's, there, this, is, this is truth. And we want to, we, we, our foundation in, in our church and in our life is really on the word of God and his truth. And so we're going we're gonna to go to this, this book a lot this, uh, this morning. And uh, let's go to Revelation 3. Uh, last week, chapter 10, you could see John is not just having a revelation that he's hearing things and seeing things and writing them down. He is full-on immersion having an experience. Last week, he ate a scroll. Today, he's got a tape measure. He's measuring the temple. So like, you can see he's very much involved. This is a, very, this is a holistic experience for John. And so let's, this, we're going to walk through the, the, all these verses here quickly, and then we're going to have some fun talking about this. So, uh, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go. 
the measure of the temple of God and the altar. And count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. And so the, the holy city is Jerusalem. And so John is going to measure out the temple. So this is God's temple, which still exists in heaven, apparently. So when John is writing this, it is in the 90s of the first century, likely in the 90s. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. So the physical temple in Jerusalem no longer exists when John is having this experience, which is interesting to note. Uh, The temple still doesn't exist, by the way almost 2,000 years later. Uh, We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, But we see here that uh, John's measuring it out, but it has the the, the same um, different courts, the outer court, inner court, and there's a holy of holies that isn't mentioned here, uh, just like there was before when the temple did exist. And the Gentiles are going to rule and trample over the holy city, and they're going to do that for, what did it say? 42 months. Then these two witnesses, they show up, they appear out of nowhere, all of a sudden two witnesses, and they're going to prophesy for 1260 days. So if you're familiar with end times events, you know the math of those things. So 1260 days is actually 42 months, which is, I don't know why they don't say that same, you know, twice, but uh, 42 months is actually three and a half years, which is half of what the tribulation is going to be. The tribulation appears to be a seven year period at the end of time where all hell is going to break loose as we've already been noticing as we've been uh, traveling through revelation here. And so for half of that three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to prophesy. They're going to proclaim the word of God. They're going to proclaim truth. They're going to proclaim the gospel is what they're going to be proclaiming uh, for these three and a half years. So who are these two witnesses that just show up? The truth is we don't know. It's hard to speculate. You can, there's a lot of good guesses based upon other things in Scripture and some clues here in the next verses that we're going to read. Maybe it's Enoch and Elijah because they, they didn't die. Maybe it's Elijah and Moses. Maybe it's the church. A lot of people believe it, is, it actually just references the church. We don't really know. We know that they're going to combat the powers of the Antichrist. We do know that. We see that. Let's keep reading on here. Verse uh, 4. These, speaking of the two witnesses, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone strikes to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. How's that for a superpower? Wow. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time that they are prophesying, much like Elijah did back in Old Testament times. Uh, And they have power to turn the waters into blood, much like Moses did in those plagues uh, against Egypt. So that's why some people think it's those two. Uh, And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. So these guys, three and a half years, they have uh, power to perform miraculous, mighty things. If anyone tries to come against them, they will die. And they're prophesying. They're proclaiming the truth uh, of God. And uh, this is going to go on, like I said, for, for three and a half years. And, and you see that it mentions the, the olive tree and the lampstands there. So there's two trees, two lampstands. That's just signifying that these two will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit will anoint these two to be witnesses to the whole world. The whole world is going to see them and hear them, hear their message and see what takes place. But the Holy Spirit has anointed them as witnesses for this moment in time. And we talked about this last week, but don't forget, the Holy Spirit has anointed you as a witness for Jesus today. So again, we want to take some of the stuff and apply it to us. What does this mean to us? This reminds us that, oh yeah, I'm a witness for Jesus too. Here's two witnesses here, but I'm a witness of Jesus. Acts 1.8. Jesus said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say, my witnesses. Uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So do not forget, friends, as a believer, a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He has anointed you and empowered you to be a witness, not for yourself, not for how great you are, not for how great your, your spouse is or your kids are or whatever. You're, you're a witness for him. That's why Jesus says you are my witnesses. So I pray that you walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit every single day and you're a witness for Jesus. I pray that people see Jesus in your life by how you live your life and by the things that you say. That's why the Holy Spirit has anointed you to be a witness for him. Now we've, uh, we've started this disciple maker initiative uh, a little over a month ago and it's been really fun. It's been going on this journey. There's 12 of us doing this disciple maker journey and uh, it, it's awesome. It's kind of like the, um, the, the, the Marines of, of Christianity, like this, the, 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 we're going for it guys. And we're praying for people to come into our lives that we can witness to, that we can share our faith with, that we can begin relationships with. We're going to begin discipling them. Uh, we're going to start Bible studies. We're going to pray that's going to grow. We're going to, we're going to plant churches out of this. We're going to see disciples. And, and so that's, that's the goal. And so we're on this journey and just, uh, about a month ago, Maybe a few weeks ago, Pastor Matt shared a story uh, with us, and he just began to open up, and him and Tawny had just moved, and through the move, you know, they had to get rid of their dog, their, their, their animals, and they went from a nice newer house to an older one that has issues, and if you've ever gone through that, you're like, you know, like, oh, I got to fix this, I got to take care of this. Uh, I feel your pain, man, because I'm not a fixer-upper. But he found himself, he said, he just was opening up to us, he says, guys, I was really discouraged and I was kind of like a woe is me, like, why am I here? I don't want to live here. I don't like this place. God, what have you done to us? Kind of a thing. You ever been there before? Where it's like, you're just complaining, you're griping about everything. And he said, I was really struggling. And wouldn't you know, I ran into one of our neighbors who heard that he was a believer and even a pastor and says, I really would be interested in doing a Bible study. Would you like to do that? And he's like, uh, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, for sure. Because again, this is what we're praying for in our disciple maker thing. And then, once you know, a little while later, he runs into another neighbor. This neighbor and him strike up a conversation. This guy begins to open up and says, I was just diagnosed with, I think it was stage four, terminal cancer. Been given about four months to live. And Matt says, God gave me words. I've just felt the Holy Spirit just giving me words, just anointing me in that moment. I was encouraging him, ministering to him. And at the end of that conversation, this guy says, this was a divine appointment. I needed to, to, to meet you. I, I, I want to keep talking to you. In fact, like you're my pastor now. He's like, I'm calling you my pastor. You're, pa you're my pastor. And so he's, whenever Matt talks to him, it's like, that's my pastor. Because <laughs> he's able to minister to him. And, and as Matt was opening up, he began to cry because he's like, guys, I was in this horrible place, just complaining, complaining. All of a sudden, God brought two people into my life that I get to minister to right in my neighborhood. 
I went home and I repented and apologized to my wife, he said. And he said, God has opened up some doors for us right here. I love that. Hey, friends, don't forget, God has empowered you and anointed you as a witness. To be a witness in your neighborhood, in your family, at your workplace, where you play, where you shop, everywhere, God has anointed you to be a witness for him. Be ready and available. Let's keep reading on about these two witnesses. This is interesting. Verse 7. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So again, we can see this is Jerusalem, right? Where Jesus was crucified. But Jesus is calling it, uh, he's calling it Sodom and Egypt. So he's speaking to the spiritual state of it, not the physical, like it's obviously Jerusalem, but spiritually they're, they're ungodly. That's why he says that. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. Did you catch this the first time when Shay was reading this? And will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two, these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Simply because they didn't listen to them, they didn't like their message, they tried to harm them, and they died as a result of that. So, everybody on planet earth is going to see these two, it appears to be two people, that's kind of the angle and the approach I take, uh, these two bodies lying dead, and they're not going to do anything about it. They're going to leave them there for three and a half days. The whole world will take notice. Now, what's interesting is when John would have written this and when the first century believers would have read this, they would have struggled to believe this. How on earth could the whole world know of a little incident taking place in a little town called Jerusalem? That's like impossible for first century people to even fathom, right? The whole world, how is the whole world going to know about this? They would have struggled with this, struggled to believe this. John faithfully wrote it down, though. This is what he was told to write down. This is what he's seen. So he's writing it down. Okay, fast forward to our day and age. We're like, I can, I can know what's going on on the other side of the globe right now, thanks to modern technology and the media that we have, right? And so nowadays, with where, uh, where the earth is at, where people are at now, it's like easy to know that the world will be able to see what takes place in a small city in the Middle East. The whole world will take notice. And they will celebrate this so much so that they're exchanging gifts. You get that? The whole world is exchanging gifts. It's like Christmas. It's probably led by the Antichrist who has, led, who has, who has killed these two guys now. He was given power to kill them. So now they are lying in the streets and they have not like, you know, it's the Antichrist. So we could call it, it's not Christmas, but it's like anti-Christmas. But they're all exchanging gifts. All across the world, the, the people are celebrating this moment. That's just kind of interesting. So they lay there, dead, for three and a half days. And then something interesting happens. Keep reading on here. Um, verse 11, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood to their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour... There was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. All right, so again, 
the, the entire world sees all that is going on here. Isn't it amazing? All these end times events take place and center on this little city called Jerusalem in the Middle East. It, Metro Jerusalem is, is less than four times the size of Metro Phoenix. Like what we see here in the valley is four times larger than this city of Metro Jerusalem, the surrounding areas. Yet the whole world, even today, wants to know what's going on there. The whole world is always watching what's going on there. The relationship our country and the other countries of the world have with Israel matters right now everywhere. And so people have their opinion, should we you know, be on the side of Israel or the Palestinians, all that, you know, but what, for whatever, whatever side people are on, they are always watching and wondering and taking notice, and it will still take place till the end of days. There's something significant about the city of Jerusalem. And so these guys are, are, uh, were dead. They, they come to life. Everyone notices, they, and they hear a voice from heaven come up here, and they, they, they float up into heaven, and they're with God in heaven. So some people believe that this is when the rapture takes place. Right here, as the seventh trumpet is about to sound. Because if they come up here and you see them going, they're getting caught up into the air, they're going up to be with God. Okay, so let's read the next few ver- verses and then we're going to talk about how that all connects and, and how this all this, this looks. So verse 14, the second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God. So right here, the seventh trumpet is finally blown. We've been waiting like two chapters for this, since chapter nine. So finally, the seventh chapter, or sorry, the seventh trumpet is blown. Uh, there's a severe earthquake. Uh, all this, this, this people are dying. Uh, people then, because of this, finally are turning their hearts to God, though. Because before, their, their hearts were hardening. Now they're turning their hearts to God. But some people connect this seventh trumpet and that come up here passage with being the, tribula- or the, the rapture, right in the middle of the tribulation. And, and here's why. I'll look at some scripture that explain why they think that. But first, if you don't know what the rapture is, this is what the, the rapture is. It's when Jesus takes his followers from the earth to meet them in the air and be with him in heaven. That's what the rapture is. It comes from a Latin word, raptu, which means caught away. The Greek equivalent is harpazo, and it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We see the clearest description of the rapture in just these two verses, verse 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There's that harpazo, Greek word there, caught up together with him. That's where we get the word, that, that concept of rapture. Uh, we're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, so that is the moment of the rapture. And you can see right there the trumpet call, right? The trumpet sounds. And so some people say, well, that's the trumpet spoken of in Revelation chapter 11 that we just read about, the seventh trumpet. And here's why. If you flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul also talks about the rapture to the Corinthians 
And he says, uh, verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Okay, so there's a lot there. But you can see, uh, I'll just focus on just the trumpet part, okay? The last trumpet, did you see that? Now, we just read in Revelation chapter 11, the last trumpet. And so some people will say, okay, that could be where the rapture takes place, right there in the middle of what appears to be the tribulation, right there in Revelation chapter 1. Now, what we do see in this Corinthians passage is that this rapture will happen just like that, in the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty quick. Like, everybody blink, just blink, okay? That quick, that's how it'll happen. Like, like, you look, blink, look, gone. It's like that, like, you won't even have a, a moment to prepare. It will happen that fast, friends. That's just crazy to think about. So, some people will ask, you know, funny questions about that. Like, what if I'm taking a shower when that happens? Like, what's, you know, well, we're going to see Jesus in all his glory and you in all your glory. That's what's going to happen. I hope you've been working out. <laughs> Who knows what happens? Yeah, that's where the glorified body, we won't dive into that, but we'll have a new body. We're changed is what Paul is talking about. We'll get that glorified body like Jesus had his glorified body. But yeah. So here's the big debate in regards to the rapture. The big debate is not, will it happen? The debate is, when will it happen? That's the question. Okay, so closed-handed theology is those things that, like, they're not up for debate. Like, we must all agree on these things. And so that the rapture will happen is closed-handed. Okay, we can see that very clearly in Scripture. The rapture will take place. It's just like God created us in his image. Closed-handed theology. God, God created all of us. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Then he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty of death for your sins on the cross. But then he rose from the dead, proving that he is God. He is who he said he is. Okay, those are all closed-handed theology things. And Jesus said, I'm coming back. Okay, that's closed-handed theology. We know he's coming back. We see the rapture and descriptions of the rapture in theology. So that will happen. But the open-handed part of it is when it will happen. And this is what's up for debate. Open-handed is the timing of the rapture. And we don't need to divide relationships. We don't need to divide the church over open-handed theology. And there are very smart people on all spectrums of when the rapture will take place. And so we're going to have a little bit of fun talking about this in light of the seventh trumpet that we just read about in Revelation chapter uh, 11. But before we go into detail about the rapture, let's, let's look at the tribulation. Let's talk about the seven-year period of the tribulation, and then we can talk about where does the rapture fit into the the tribulation. So since chapter 6 of Revelation, we have been seemingly studying and seeing what takes place during the tribulation. Tribulation is a seven-year period. We'll read about that in, in, in Daniel. But the first three and a half years... Some scholars will call the tribulation. The last three and a half years is the great tribulation because it gets like it's, it's, it's crazy. It's awful. It's horrific. Then it gets really, really, really horrific. Okay, so the tribulation is, is going to be a tough seven-year period. Daniel said this about the tribulation. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Jeremiah said this. He's an Old Testament prophet. 
In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel, yet in the end, they will be saved. Jesus himself said this. He said, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Okay, so those are some pretty intense descriptions of the tribulation. Like we've had dark ages in our past. This will be like the darkest of ages when this seven-year period of tribulation takes place. And so we see that in Daniel describing a seven-year period where someone is going to make a treaty or a covenant with Israel. And it appears that halfway through that tribulation, they're gonna, that, that treaty is going to be broken, and that's where the Antichrist will set up an idol in the temple, and he's going to force people to worship it. So Daniel says this in Daniel 9. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So it's a seven-year period. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, so right in the middle there, he's going to end the Jews being able to worship in the temple, and he's going to put up an idol, and he's going to force the whole world and the Jews, you have to worship this or else. And what that idol is, is called this, this abomination that causes desolation. It's, it's an abomination that desecrates the temple, essentially. So when you connect this Daniel 9, chapter 9 passage, and Daniel chapter 11 passage, and then Revelation chapter 11 passage, you're reading through all of this, you're trying to connect all the dots. What it seems to, to, to happen is that the Antichrist is going to make treaty and peace with the Jews, with Israel, and with the whole world, and he's going to allow the Jews to build the temple again. The temple does not exist right now, friends. The Jews long to build the temple. There are a group of Jews who actually have plans ready right now to build the temple again. This is why the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall is so important to them. It's the closest they can get to where their temple used to exist. Well, again, we'll talk about that uh, more next week as we talk more about the Antichrist and who that is. Uh, but it appears that this idol, which is probably going to be an image or an idol of the Antichrist himself is going to be put in the temple and he's going to say, the whole world must worship me now. Now, Jesus himself said, this is going to be one of the signs that the end has come. When you see this moment take place, you'll know, hey, here's the end. So let's read those words from Jesus back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see in the holy place, that's the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So there, Jesus is using the exact words. You notice that? He's referring back to what Daniel prophesied, showing us that Daniel's prophecy is legit. When you see that happen, guys, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one run, uh, no one on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. Let no one on the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress. We just read this verse. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. It's about ready to get really, really bad. And so we see Jesus talking about the abomination that causes desolation verbatim of what Daniel talked about. So again, like I said, 
it's likely the Antichrist, set up an image, an idol of himself. But Jesus is saying this. When that happens, then you know the end has come. This is like the first major, major sign that the end has come. So then this brings up this, this important question. Who is Jesus talking to? When who sees the abomination that causes desolation in the temple? Because if this is taking place, like it appears to be, in the middle of the tribulation, who is Jesus talking about when you see this? Because if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the church is gone. So they're not going to see this. So is he talking about the whole world that's left behind during this tribulation period? And so he just wants all the world to know, hey, I already said what's going to happen. And, and, and not, just so you know, when this happens, then you know, okay, here we go. So is it for the world or is it for people who come to faith during the tribulation, which appears is likely. So we talk about revival and Jews coming to faith in Jesus, uh, though it'll be really, really difficult to be a believer during the tribulation. Is he talking to those people? So that's what brings up this big debate is who is Jesus talking about? Because this is clearly what is going to happen, but who will see it? So let's, let's look at some timeline charts because this will help some of you, okay? Some of you, you're very visual like me. And so the first one we got right here is, uh, if you can see that, maybe you can't see that very well. All of you online, you're going to really be able to see this part really well. This will be great. Uh, but this is, you got uh, present church age, uh, on the far left, it moves into this seven-year period of the tribulation. So the first half is called the beginning of sorrows. The second half is called the great tribulation. Um, and, and then you've got the millennial reign of Christ after that, and then the eternal states, eternal kingdom of God. Okay, so that's like the big picture look of where we're going here as we continue to go on through Revelation. We'll get to the millennium and God's eternal kingdom. That'll be in season three next fall. All right, so next slide. So let's look at just the tribulation here. This slide depicts what a lot of people believe of the rapture taking place pre-tribulation. So it happens before the tribulation begins. And so the church, all the believers of Jesus are caught up in the air. That 1 Thessalonians 4 passage describes this moment. And so that happens to basically mark the beginning of the tribulation. So all the believers who put their faith and their trust in Jesus are now gone and they will not experience the tribulation. And then the tribulation period happens and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so let's go on to the, the next slide. This one depicts a mid-tribulation rapture, which a lot of people will believe based upon Revelation 11, what we're reading here now, and some of these passages, like even Jesus is saying, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, so some people will say, you can interpret it this way. It's possible. See, we're going to be there during the tribulation. We're going to see that moment take place. It all depends upon who you believe Jesus is talking to, right? So it could happen in the middle. So some, maybe, maybe we will be there for half of the tribulation. And then you've got the, the post-tribulation, the next slide here, where at the end of that seven-year period, the rapture will take place, we'll get caught up in the air with Jesus, and then we'll come back with him as he leads us immediately. This is the second coming of Christ, right at the end of the tribulation. The second coming, the whole world will see Jesus. He leads us, this huge army. There's going to be the battle of Armageddon, the final battle. And Jesus wins, and he sets up the millennial reign. Okay, so those are the three different main perspectives of the rapture, when it'll happen. Pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. So the big question that helps us decipher which one of those is likely is this. 
is Jesus coming back once or twice? This is the tough one for a lot of people. It's, it seems very clear that Jesus, okay, we can say this. Jesus is coming back. We know that, right? Uh, there's a lot of evidence that Jesus is only coming back once. And so if he's only coming back once, that means that we got to endure the entire tribulation and wait for the second coming at the end of the tribulation when he comes back on the white horse, which we'll get there in Revelation 2 and the final battle of Armageddon and all that kind of stuff. And so we have to endure the tribulation if he's only coming back once. But then a lot of people will say, well, yes, he's only coming back once at the second coming in the tribulation, but the rapture is not considered his coming back. That's his, he's taken us up into the air. And so we're going to go up with him. He is rapturing us up to be with him forever. And we're going to go through seven-year boot camp in preparation for the Battle of Armageddon. Which the boot camp will consist of maybe the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're just eating food. We're just kind of enjoying fellowship and food. I don't know. Because the Battle of Armageddon isn't going to be much, to be honest, <laughs> you know, when we get there. All right, so <laughs> is he coming back once? Is he coming back twice? Uh, if he's coming back twice, then the rapture could happen at the beginning or the middle of the tribulation. Or maybe you don't even consider the rapture just being Jesus coming back because he's only coming back once at the second coming at the end. Okay, so this is where people will debate this and they land in different places. And, and friends, that's okay. Again, we don't need to divide over this. I'm not, I'm going to give you all these perspectives and, and if you really are interested, you dive into studying all this. You wrestle with all of this. But some of you might say, okay, Tyrone, why is this important? Because some of us going to get like, oh, this is crazy. Like, this is a lot. Um, why is this important? Well, I think it's important because of this. Should we prepare to escape the tribulation or endure the tribulation? That's the question. And how we mentally prepare, spiritually prepare for those two different options is a big difference, right? Am I preparing for escape or am I preparing to endure? Now, guys, I could go on for days, uh, you know, just talking about support for pre, mid, and post-trib rapture and all that kind of, okay? So, but this is the big question right here. If the rapture happens before the tribulation, we're going to escape it. We will not have to endure the tribulation. If the rapture happens in the middle of the end, then we have to prepare for endurance, friends. And there's biblical support for either one of those. Again, depending upon how you interpret scripture. So let's go ahead and let's, uh, let's look at just a couple more passages about what Jesus says about the end times to kind of help bring this home. And then, uh, you know, I'm reading a lot of scripture, giving you Jesus' thoughts, but then I'll give you my thoughts and my opinion on this based upon what I'm seeing here. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus is saying this. He says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the sun, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Okay, so it's going to be as in the days of Noah. God determined that he was going to wipe out the earth of its extreme, incredible wickedness. 
It was so wicked, so bad. But there was a faithful few that he spared, that he saved from this. So then you see Jesus saying, you don't know when this can happen. It could happen at any moment. So the disciples believed that Jesus could come in their lifetime. Every generation has believed that. We believe that. It could happen in our lifetime. The, the signs point to more than ever in any time in history that it could be very close. But the return of Jesus seems to be imminent. It could happen at any moment. Okay, jump to Luke chapter 17. Jesus says this, verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, here he goes again talking about Noah, so it would also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. So now he's going to talk about the story of Lot from the Old Testament. People were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one on the field should go back for anything. Remember, Lot's wife, which is kind of a funny little verse there. Lot, it's not funny, but it's just uh, funny is that he inserts this. Lot looked back when God told him, don't look back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And so she didn't trust God. She didn't obey God, basically. And so he's like, okay, you can trust me. Uh, you want to walk in obedience to this too. And just remember that lesson from Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. So Jesus has clearly told us we must give our lives to him. If you want to find true life and eternal life, then you've got to die to yourself and live for me is what Jesus says. But a lot of people are like, I don't want to do that. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to do this on my own. And so Jesus says, then you won't find life if you try to do it on your own. You've got to trust in me and it's, it comes through me. So whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you on that night, two people will be, on, uh, will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus knows who belongs to him. It won't matter who, who you're sleeping next to. All that matters is do you have a relationship with him? And in that moment, he will take you. Side note, Jesus references not just Daniel and the prophecy of Daniel, but we see the story of Noah, the story of Lot. Why do we believe in the Old Testament and all those crazy stories? Because Jesus believed in them. And he referenced all of them. So here's where I'm at with the rapture. Based upon some of these things that Jesus is saying, <laughs> when will it occur? Pre, mid, post? There's even other thoughts outside of that. Um, I'm 65% certain it'll happen pre-tribulation. I cannot say with 100% certainty, friends, that it will be like this. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. We could be wrong, okay? So it, it vacillates between 60 and 70, so I average it to 65, all right? It will be pre-tribulation. Pre here's why. There seems to be an imminence to Jesus' return. It could happen at any moment, twinkle of an eye, any time. We don't know when it will happen. And if we are around for that moment when we see the abomination that causes desecration or desolation, 
in, during the tribulation, if we are there, if we're, if we're actually living through the tribulation, we're going to see all these signs. We're gonna pretty, it's going to be pretty clear to know, like, okay, Jesus is coming back now. We could point to moments or uh, even months or days of like, okay, here it goes. But we won't know. We won't be able to know. So it's, there's an imminence that seems to be recurring here about Jesus' return. Also, God spared Lot and his family. God spared Noah and his family from wrath. There seems to be a pattern here uh, based upon those stories about what God is going to do for his believers. When wrath is poured out in Revelation, as we've been reading about, uh, it would seem to me to be to keep up with the heart of God throughout those two instances that he is going to take his believers, his faithful, to be with him and they will not experience wrath. It's just a pattern that we can see in scripture. So I would say I'm about 65% sure because of that. Uh, but also let's think about this. What if a man asks a woman to marry him and the, the wedding's coming, the marriage is coming and before that happens, he says, wait, wait, I'm going to hand you over for seven years to the most evil man that ever lived. But then after that, after seven years, I'm going to come back. We're going to get you. We're going to be married. We're going to, it's all going to be good. Does that sound like the heart of God? Does that sound like what he would do? Okay, so again, that's just that's not even rooted in Scripture by any means, guys. That's just kind of my opinion. Uh, based upon an illustration I heard somebody else use. And I thought, oh, that's, it makes sense to be God's heart to say, I'm coming to get you, church. Before all the wrath is poured out, you won't have to experience it. So that leads us to that all-important question, though, guys. And by the way, here's, here's, there's another thought that I haven't mentioned. There's some people that believe in a partial rapture. And so what that means is it will happen pre-tribulation, but only for those who are mature, who are, have been watching and waiting. So they're ready. And so the immature, the people that, like, I believe in Jesus, but aren't living out their faith, they're going to be left. They'll, have, they'll still have a chance in the tribulation to put their faith in Jesus, but it will be difficult. So only the mature will go. The rest still have a chance at the end when Jesus comes back for that second coming. So there's people that believe that. And again, all of this can sound and feel like theological gibberish to some people. You know, there's post-trib, partial-trib, mid-trib, uh, pre-trib, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of people that believe in pan-trib. Have you heard of that? Pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. And that's probably pretty accurate, guys, okay? Let's just be real. It's kind of all like we are making our best guess. We, could we call it a guess? We're, we're studying. We're making decisions. We're, our best interpretation is the right word. In light of all these scriptures, there's a lot more. We'll keep looking at this. But in light of all that, we're making our best interpretation. Um, and I would lean towards a pre-tribulation rapture. But it does force us to really wrestle with this question. Should we prepare to escape the tribulation or endure the tribulation? Um, I believe that we will escape, but I think we should emotionally, mentally prepare to endure. And here's why. There are very smart people, smarter than me, that believe in a mid or a post-tribulation rapture. I believe we should prepare to endure. And, but it's not just a tribulation and a rapture thing. I believe that you should be prepared to endure anything that you face in life. When you read through Revelation, this is the call to Revelation. 
I mean, we've, we've read this several times already in chapters one and two and then three. Uh, this calls for endurance on, upon the saints. This calls for you to endure. Those who endure will get the crown. I mean, this, there's a call to endurance all throughout Revelation, friends. We may have to endure some of tribulation, but regardless, life is hard. Life is going to hit you hard. You're going to face tragedy. You're going to face not, you may not face the tribulation, but you will face tribulations and trials. And I pray that you are strong enough in your relationship with the Lord to endure anything, no matter what God throws your way, no matter what life throws your way. I pray that you would endure. So I'm praying for strength for all of you to endure. The hardest thing for us to endure and wrestle with guys is this thing called death. And many of us, you've, you've questioned God, you've questioned life as you have faced the death of loved ones. Because this is the one that we really, really struggle with. How do we respond to death? How do I process death? It is so difficult for us. I pray that you have the strength to endure even death. Because here's the good news, friends. Even in death, we have hope because of what Jesus did. So let me just end with this passage. Back to that 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the rapture. Let me read the, the bigger passage here to encourage you. In fact, won't we stand to our feet? Let's stand to our feet for this moment here as we bring it to an end here. I told you I'd take a few extra moments here, and I, and I hope that's okay in light of this topic here. This is kind of interesting. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning those who die, or grieve like the rest of, the men, uh, of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Friends, even in death, there is hope. And as you grieve and mourn the loss of loved ones, and face that even in yourself, in your own life, in your own mortality, just know that there is always hope because of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. The dead will rise first, maybe because they're six feet below and they need a little head start to catch up there. And then we're all going to rise with what's it's going to happen, friends. When it happens, I don't know, but it will happen. This is the hope that we have, friends. And I pray that this hope in Jesus will strengthen you to endure anything in life. That's my prayer for you. That's why I want to speak over you today. The strength to endure anything, even as you wrestle and struggle with death in this lifetime. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.